two stories of NBL One. I'm your host, Greg Heyer. This is our pilot episode. I'm the founder of a not-for-profit charity, a stitch in time and former NBL champion, four-time NBL champion, vice captain. And I have the absolute honour and privilege of having our very first guest, none other than Australian Opals captain, Southside Flyers championship winner and captain, mental health advocate and lifeline custodian, and that is Jenna O'Hay. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. I have one more championship to win to match you. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Well, you're still sprightly young, um, so you'll be fine. <laughs> you still got a fair few years playing. And I, and I didn't mention, obviously, being the story of the NBL one, you're a, you're playing for Sandringham at the moment, if I'm correct. But we'll go straight into it in terms of the current situation. We can't go by the Olympics. Um, we just spoken off there. 30 days, I guess, is the countdown. You're about to, to leave to Vegas shortly. How has been the lead up? Oh, well, I live in Melbourne. So the last couple of weeks hasn't been ideal. We've been in lockdown. Um, so not the preparation sort of that I was expecting, I guess. And already uh, it's not a normal prep for the Olympics. Um, I think normally we would have had quite a few tours and tournaments and games and that just hasn't been possible. So part of the reason why I signed with Sandringham was so that I got some gameplay, which has been really beneficial. Just unfortunate that we went into lockdown. So the last few weeks have been cancelled. Um, but uh, we've been scrimmaging against some guys. Um, and yeah, we're leaving Sunday week, heading to Vegas to meet up with all the WBA girls and our coach. Um, we'll play a few games and then head over to Tokyo. So countdown is well and truly on and it's... Um, exciting and terrifying and um a lot of a lot of anxiety but i think overall a lot of excitement saw you getting the image of or well, you were number one getting your suitcase i mean what was that emotion like in terms of finally seeing it being like yep yeah, this is real yeah so um to be honest, I haven't actually seen it yet because it's at my mum and dad's house <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah I think yeah, it's all sort of coming together now. Um, bags are being sent, um, getting uniforms, um, even just like the announcement of the team was just like a, a weight off the shoulders, I guess. Um, it's a stress, a selection is always a stressful time. Um, so to finally, yeah, get that announcement, um, get our final 12 was really exciting. Yeah, now bags, flights, pre-Olympic tournament, and then finally the games after, well, for me, nine years. Perfect. Now, I didn't mention, and silly of me doing so, but the, the purpose of this podcast, uh, Stories of NBL, was to, one, is to, to go into a deep dive in terms of the fantastic athletes that are playing all across uh, our NBL One leagues and, and to really get onto it. And and it's I think it's appropriate speaking to you on the very first episode um, as we uh, combine mental health and the NBL one with the, I guess, the inaugural mental health round um, in the NBL one sort of um, competition. Now, uh, for those that don't know, you're obviously um, a lifeline custodian, but you've been doing this for a number of years in WNBL and I've always um, had a massive admiration um, for, for what you've been able to, to achieve um, in that time. Um, I just want to talk to you about that. I mean, how obviously you've been, you've run it for a couple of years in WNBL and um, you've had immense pride in terms of how, how people have backed that. How do you feel now that it's, it's coming into the NBL one and even speak about that experience of it being in the WNBL, um, you know, as a, as a huge initiative? 
Well, first of all, um, my admiration is for you with everything that you've been able to do. And I remember years ago in the WNBL with the shoes that we did. Um, so it definitely starts with you within sort of basketball terms. So I have, yeah, just great admiration for everything that you've been able to do and continue to do to this day. Um, in terms of the WNBL, um, yeah, words can't really describe um, my feelings and emotions around uh, the lifeline round that we've done. Uh, the first year, I really didn't know, yeah, how it was going to be backed and um, if people would get around it or not. Uh, and yeah, the conversations that were started, the awareness that was brought to mental health and the money that was raised in that first year um, just exceeded all my expectations. And then it was really nice. Um, last year, obviously, we had the hub for WNBL. So we're all together and we had another really great round of Lifeline rounds. So um, yeah, immense, immensely proud of everything we've been able to achieve in the WNBL and to have the NBL one do a mental health round is just huge. And now it's sort of going across all these different leagues and um, conversations being started, um, conversations being had. I just think it's so important. And especially, you know, with COVID last year and this year, I think um, it's becoming even more relevant and more important. Uh, so yeah, so happy that there's a mental health round and we can raise money and raise awareness. And it's, um, yeah, so special. Touching on that, like the money is significant. It's obviously the purpose. I mean, raising as much money for Lifeline and you, and you spoke about the hub. How did you see that? Obviously last year, how important that was to have those conversations and what can be done. I mean, we've, we've uh, been impacted by it. We still continue to be impacted by it. You've got your own lived experience, which is incredible. Um, and, and you're very authentic and, and you, you're vulnerable in that sort of moment. How have you seen that in terms of, you know, obviously the, the hurrah will go around the money, but how important it is to have those conversations, um, yeah, during these times? Yeah, um, you nailed it. I think the money raised is really important. We need more people on phone, so we need to be able to train those people so that more phone calls can be answered. Um, but I think awareness for me is almost even more important than the money raised because mm -hmm. it's important that people know that they're not alone and I think that was what um, with my lived experience with my uncle taking his own life he was he obviously felt alone and I think in the aftermath of it friends and family close to him also felt alone uh, and so it's important that we have these conversations and the more vulnerable I found that I am the more vulnerable people are prepared to be with me. And so many people have lived experiences that aren't comfortable speaking about it. So the more we can talk about it and the more we can be open and honest and raw, the more people feel comfortable. It might even not be to share it because not everyone is comfortable sharing it, but to know that there are other people in that position and that they aren't alone. And when they feel comfortable to come forward, they know that there's people in positions that are willing to help. Um, and yeah, those conversations are just so important. And I think, you know, reducing the stigma around mental health is what these conversations um, need to be. And I think it's definitely getting better, but we still have just a long ways to go in this country. 
Adrian, and thank you for sharing your story in that regard. Have you felt like as you got more immersed in this space, um, you know, and you become more and more comfortable, that you're seeing the the relationship that shares to being in an elite environment, you know, in terms of, yeah, we, we focus on our physical health, but now you're having these um, conversations and you feel like you, you can speak to a teammate or a peer or even a, a member of um, the clubs that you play for, and it's just sort of becoming more and more natural? It absolutely is becoming more natural. And I think uh, leading into this Olympics, there's a lot of uncertainty. Mm. And I think in the past, I wouldn't have been comfortable saying I am anxious about leading into this Olympics. I am anxious about going to another country where COVID is very prevalent. We're in a country where we're all about eradicating COVID and we're going to a country like America that is very living with it and and that gives me anxiety and I know even probably last year I wouldn't have felt comfortable saying that I wouldn't have felt comfortable saying I am quite stressed in this selection process but I am absolutely more comfortable saying that now because these conversations are being had and I know teammates are much more comfortable talking about it as well and the more we can be more comfortable and the more we can normalize these conversations the better because everyone goes through everyone goes through shit everyone and so I think we need to be there to support one another and it's um definitely conversations are being had more and I and I think it's great now we segue the Olympics and, and you're heading to Vegas um what are those feelings you know this is obviously we, we spoke about the, the those those um, that negativity in terms of the anxiety, which well, maybe not negativity, but those natural emotions. I mean, how are you feeling being a captain? I mean, this is not your first Olympics. Um, I mean, have you felt like there's any pressure that's that's coming with such a, a very unique period? I mean, how are you going about it at the moment? There's so many emotions going through my <laughs> mind. Um, and I am trying to keep the main goal in sight, which is to medal at the Olympic Games. Um, the lead-in process, as I said, the preparation hasn't been perfect, um, but I don't think any athlete's preparation has necessarily been perfect just because of the world we're living in right now. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting together with the team because I think our team is split in half. Six of us in Australia, six of us are in America. And I feel like I'm really going to be leaning on those girls in America um, to sort of ease my nerves um, around COVID because here in Australia, we are not used to it. Mm. We have a couple of cases, we lock down. <laughs> so um, I'm really going to be leaning on my other teammates to sort of help us through that. Um, I'm sure once I get over there and basketball is the forefront of my mind and it'll be fine. But yeah, leading into it, I've just asked a million and one questions and most of the answers are we don't have that answer yet, which to me is not an answer. So that's sort of why it's really difficult. But um, I am really excited. I just want to get our 12 together. I want to start playing games and I want to get into the village and just be as successful as we can. Unreal. Now, Sandringham, you're lining up this weekend. Is that true? That is true. Uh, heading down um, the highway to Geelong and Geelong are tough. They've got Sarah Blitzarves back, um, a teammate of mine for the Southside Flyers. So looking forward to playing against her. And I'm really thankful um, for NBL1 because I've been able to get match practice and I'm really enjoying playing with the Sandringham girls. 
How important has that been? Yeah, because it's it's underrated, and obviously lockdowns, and you haven't had the ideal preparation. But just to have a quality league that you can rely on, and then yeah, going up against another quality opposition, you know, and teammate, I guess. I mean, how I guess how reassuring has that been in this whole process? Yeah, um, no matter how hard you train, nothing can replicate match play. And in the past eighteen months. Without NBL one, I think I've played about maybe 20 games. So it's really not a lot. So to have this really strong league with, you know, quality players playing, it's been so beneficial for me, getting that match fitness, getting just the feel for the game. Um, you know, you don't replicate that in your one-on-one -on -one session. So to be able to like make decisions at high speed and stuff like that, it's been so great. So looking forward to playing this weekend before um, we head off to Vegas next weekend. So I'm expecting a 40 and 20 point game. Well, I mean, 40 point, <laughs> 20 rebound I game. About that. That's not really <laughs> rolling numbers. Have you... I mean, what's your guidance to the to the youngsters on the team? I don't want to say you're a vet, but we can. You can absolutely. You <laughs> but people still in year twelve in my team. Oh, um, isn't it upsetting when you're training and then there's like young kids that are like going to high school, have no worries in the world, and you're like, wow. Like, yeah, just prepping for exams, you know. Yeah, all that exactly. Kind of stuff. Um, look, I came into the team late. Um, I think I signed maybe the week before, sort of the first game, so I didn't want to come in and um do too much I guess um I sort of wanted to fit in um as I said get match practice uh trying to help where I can um but yeah just sort of trying to fit in with the team I guess play a role um and where I can offer advice um but I'm definitely more of a lead by example type of gal than a rah-rah yeah yelling yeah I'm, I'm the opposite so <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's now, different. Who, who, where did you start playing? Was it Sandringham your very first club ever? Or where did you start? Juniors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, none of what inspectors. Okay. Yeah. You look at that and, and I mean, your aspirations, we don't think. I mean, when did you start playing basketball? When I was five years old. Yeah. Did you, now looking now and as you're preparing for an Olympics, do you just pinch yourself and go, wow, like what a journey? Absolutely. And I think sort of leading into this Olympic Games, um, I've been doing a few interviews and talking to a few people. And um, I think when you're in it, you don't tend to look back too often until someone like yourself asks a question. And it's been a hell of a journey. I'm not quite over yet. Um, still have some things that I want to achieve. But um, yeah, to start at yeah, five years old, um, make my way through the ranks and uh, now to be yeah going to my second Olympics it's pretty special and um, yeah I don't really have a lot of words for it to be honest. Do you, when was that moment? What were you thinking? I mean, obviously you did the Australian teams and um, yeah whatnot the your whole sort of pathway. But did you just think like was there a moment when you know as a youngster you thought I'm I'm pushing all my cards in, you know, I'm, I'm putting it all in and, and this is what I want to be. I want to be an Olympian. I want to be a professional athlete. I, you know, I, I want to, yeah, be a household name, which you are. Uh, I think growing up, I don't know if I even thought that it was truly possible to make a living from basketball, especially as a female. 
Mm. Um, by the time I got to, I guess, the AIS, I saw um, the likes of, you know, your Penny Taylors and stuff making a career uh, overseas, playing in America and playing in Europe. And I think it was sort of when I was at the AIS, when I was 15, 16, that I was like, oh, maybe this can be a career. So I guess that's when, I, yeah, as you said, put all the cards on the table. Um, but even thinking back then, it's not as if, I think I far exceeded what my dreams were back then. Um, yeah, dreaming with my eyes open at the moment, I think. Who was important in that journey then? Obviously your family and your friends. I mean, how, how integral were they for your success? Uh, my family's everything to me. Um, we're extremely tight. Uh, the reason I play basketball is because of my older brothers. Um, Matt and Luke are awesome and have supported me through everything. Mum and they dad. Played, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, Matthew played uh, NBL for the Tigers. Luke played overseas. Um, so they've always been a sounding board for me through the ups and the downs. Um, and then mum and dad just, they fly everywhere to support me. They've been to America. They've been to Europe. They went to London Olympics. They've flown to Spain, they just come everywhere to watch me. So it's disappointing that they won't be able to be there for Tokyo, but I know they'll be watching every game. Um, and then just the tremendous coaches that I've had right throughout my career. Um, Nana Wedding Spectre's had some of the best coaches for me as a junior coming through. Phil Brown at the AAS, Tom Ma, Mark Wright, Cheryl Chambers at the moment, Guy Malloy, they've all played a part in um, making me the player I am today. I want to touch on that, the coaches. And there's two devils sort of edged uh, question here. Oh, what has been the best guidance that you've ever been given? All right. And, um, and that, and then the other side, what's the worst piece of advice you've received, but it's actually helped you out in the end. Oh, um, it's not a coach, but Luke, my oldest brother, his thing for me was to always play every game. Like it's your last. And when I was, I think I was 17, I had a pretty bad injury. Um, and I was told I wouldn't play again. So that advice has come true. You don't know when it's going to finish. So that's probably my favorite advice that I've sort of remembered and really taken to heart. And the worst piece of advice, it's not going to sound like the worst, but um, Tom Ma would always just say to me, like, shoot it straight. And to me, it just sounds so dumb and stupid, but like, I'll miss a shot. And I'm like, Damn it, Jenna, shoot it straight. So it's like not dumb advice, but oh, it's good. I'm like, really, dude? Like, I'm trying to shoot it straight. Yeah. So that's sort of always in my head when I miss a shot. Just if you shoot it straight, it will go in. And it's amazing, you know, whenever you make a turnover or something, you make a silly mistake and you get subbed out, and the coach is always like, and what? Don't do that. And you're like, yeah, clearly I know. Thank you. What were you thinking on that play? Well, obviously I wasn't thinking to turn it over. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm wishing I could make every shot. It's not, it's not possible. Mate, I want to um, finish on this last one. And it, and it comes back down to, to the mental health round. And I, I want to talk about um, and, and focus on that to finish off. What's been, um, I guess, from from the, the, the WNBL and that initiative, what have you been most proud about? Or has it been a story, you know, someone sharing their own experience? Um, obviously you're quite open, so you're expected to, you know, people do that. Even you know, the reasons why you became a, an ambassador for Lifeline, Lifeline. What do you, you know, we, we talk about that legacy piece and um, your legacy is on the court is absolutely no doubt will be there, but how do you, 
you know, what are you most fond about in terms of that whole initiative? And then now how's that even transpiring to MBL1? There's so many things that I could say to answer this question, but I think the overwhelming thing for me was how special the WNBL community is and how, I'm going to get emotional, but how much they wrapped their arms around me and supported that round. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I'm very thankful that they were able to do that and... um, yeah, it's just a really special community to be a part of. And I'm so glad that it's now been brought into the MBL one because I know that it's just going to be a bigger hug for everyone. Oh, mate, you're, you're I'm really absolutely emotional about that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, sorry to be that. And that's why I love that because you wear your heart on your sleeve and, you, and you're not you're not shy and you're amazing. You you are doing as much as I, I appreciate your kind words um, for you to, to do that. You don't have to do that. It's not an expectation of you to to do that and drive it and continue pushing on it. Um, even in the, in, you know, if you go back, you're in, you're a captain for two sides. Um, there's no uh, expectation, especially you did something in a in a in a challenging time. So I, I do need to um, tip my hat off to you, Jenna. You're absolutely amazing, mate. Um, Thank you. On behalf of the NBL One and obviously the pilot episode uh, stories of NBL One, I, I want to thank you immensely for joining me and, and sharing and being vulnerable. It's 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 incredible, um, and I want to wish you good luck. Well, not only for this weekend, hopefully you uh, get a win over Sarah, and um, but then more so, <laughs> obviously get that gold over in Tokyo. And um, I know there'll be a lot of keen fans um, jumping on board, and and I know there'll be some very challenging times. But on behalf of um, myself and, and the team. I uh, want to wish you all luck. Thank you so much and honoured to be on the pilot episode. Perfect. Guys, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Tune in for the next episode um, whenever that may be, hopefully in due time. Uh, but please uh, check in uh, and listen to all on, on your favourite um, streaming platforms, uh, iTunes, Spotify, um, Switch. I'm not sure what else there is. We might, might make up our own one, but please tune in. And please follow all MBO1 on socials too, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Have a great day. We'll talk soon.